The Six Billion Dollar Man won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Top Gun. Flying to the danger zone. I was trying to do the theme music and I don't remember how it goes. It's like... Uh, now, see, that's not... That's, that's sure the take fire. my breath away. Well, you're right. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Apparently, all the synth music in the 80s sounds exactly the same to me. Right. That was in the show, too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, they did an orchestration yeah. of Take My Breath Away. Yeah. Well, that was... Well, because uh, that was Berlin. Take yourself back to 1986. March 9th, United States Navy divers find the largely intact but heavily damaged crew compartment of the Space Shuttle Challenger. The bodies of all seven astronauts are still inside. Uh, that's so horrible, man. That's all I could think about is them falling. Hopefully, like, the fall made them pass out or whatever, but... I don't think it did. It, that's just like they, that. I think they proved that they were alive on impact. Yeah. yeah which just, is that's so awful, awful, especially considering how dramatic and awful the explosion was. I was like, no, they're all dead. It's fine. Yeah. But no. No. March 31st, Mexicana Flight 940 crashes near Maravatio, Mexico, killing 167 people. Ugh. Yeah. April 2nd, a bomb explodes on a Transworld Airlines flight from Rome to Athens, killing four people. Good lord, man. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of air disasters. Uh, this was just a small fraction of the air disasters that happened in 1986. Are you trying to say that Top Gun was an air disaster? No, 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 definitely not. Uh, May 16th, uh, Top Gun receives wide release in the United States. Uh, so with a sequel setting fire to the box office, why is a movie about cocky air jocks so insanely popular? Mm. I guess we'll find out over the next hour. (laughs) So the primary inspiration for the film was the article Top Guns by Ehud Yone uh, in the May 1983 issue of California Magazine. Uh, aerial photography was taken by then-Lieutenant Commander Charles Heater Heatley. All of these names, man. Fabric heater. At least Ice his man. is related to Heatley. I mean, it's it makes a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Boots. Yeah, they were not. It was ridiculous, the names. Booger. Ming-moong. Ming-moonger. I don't... Bloots. I'm Bloots. Bloots? Yeah. I'm going to make cash checks my butter writing because I'm Bloots. Okay, all right. So Ehud Yone was an Israeli national who had a history of embedding himself into topics he knew nothing about and writing incredibly insightful articles. Yeah, I know. He's awesome. Like, yeah. If you've read some of his articles, I read that article. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, he really digs deep. Yeah. He, it was in- interesting because I read a really great um, article from one of the guys he interviewed, and uh, he got to a point where he was asking all these questions about how they would, like, Buzz houses in Mexico and all this, and the, the guy he was interviewing was like, "Dude, we get to go out and do like dog fights. Like that's way more interesting than buzzing houses. Yeah, <laughs> like it's. But they were afraid he was going to write a really bad article, and then and then it was he it was like, just go with it, go with it, go with it. And the article was amazing. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so it detailed the life of fighter pilots at Naval Air Station Miramar in San Diego, self-nicknamed as Fighter Town USA. Growing up in San Diego as a kid, we went there every year. Oh and yeah, it was yeah. I mean, it was basically a Hey, young recruits. Uh, yeah. Don't you yeah. want to be a fighter pilot? Come have some lunch in our cafeteria or our mess hall. Is mess, mess hall, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was awesome. I, it, one of my favorite field trips of the year. You got to see fighter jets and you got to eat in the mess hall and see a bunch of cool pi- 
Fighter pilots? Fighter pilots? Fighter pilots? Would they do like air shows and stuff or was it just – No, no, no. It was was just just a working – I mean we would see, you know, if they were taking off, if they were doing – Right. Maneuvers, then we would be able to witness them, but they wouldn't do any like special Blue Angels stuff. stuff. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Producers Don Sipson and Jerry Bruckheimer had just struck a three year agreement with Paramount Pictures to produce theatrical and television projects through their new Simpson Bruckheimer Productions company. Uh, In the early 1970s, if you don't know, Don Simpson moved to Los Angeles and got a job marketing exploitation films for Warner Brothers in 1971, handling distribution marketing for the movies Woodstock and A Clockwork Orange. Are those. Exploitation movies? Uh, no, no. I although, kind of. I mean, it's a broad term of exploitation. In Paramount's idea, is that these are movies that were not mainstream. All right. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. But I just, I like, you know. I agree. I would never think of like Clockwork Orange as being an exploitation. Well, movie. especially Woodstock. I mean, it's just a concert. I, I, it's film. a documentary. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. But uh, I don't. I'm not also not a film executive. So who the hell knows? <laughs> In 1973, Simpson got a job at Paramount Pictures. While there, he co-wrote the 1976 film Cannonball, in which he also had a small role. Now, this wasn't Cannonball Run. This was just Cannonball. No, this was Cannonball. There was also another movie that came out about the at that same time about the illegal cross-country car race, uh, but it was called something else, and it was really bad. Mm. Uh, but no, this was eventually, yes, Cannonball Run was based off of uh, the, the race, not this movie, but the race. By 1977, he was named vice president of production at Paramount and president in 1981. Uh, Don Simpson was fired at Paramount in 1982 after passing out during a studio meeting due to drug use. God, these guys are all jerks. Uh, Don Simpson was not uh, a good person. Uh, He was working on eight productions at once and would regularly throw a tantrum while in production. Uh, He was known for his brash personality, provocative comments, and questionable claims. Yeah, he was like the uh, Donald Trump he was. of film producers. He was. And people loved him for it. I mean, he put out these, you know, he was great at the rah-rah 80s Reagan films. He was great at, like, I, yeah. touching on, you know, that patriotism part of us or that whatever part of us that, you know, he he made a lot of really, uh, a lot of films with the magic hour. A lot of films and yellows yeah, yeah. and oranges and. Uh, and his films made money. I mean, that was really the end of the day. Well, his that's movies the bottom line, made maybe. money, and they and they put up with his crazy nonsense because his movies made money. Yep, that's the. There's Hollywood. You know, this is a little <laughs> bit yes. off track. I just want to mention. I watched. I like. I have. If you guys can tell, I sound a little under the weather. I apologize for my voice, but yesterday I was feeling well, so I just kind of sat around and binged a bunch of crap, and I ended up watching that uh, W. Camille Bell. Um, documentary series about Cosby. Oh, Bill Cosby. talk about Bill Cosby. And man, it's the same thing, you know? It's like, that guy. Yeah. The worst part about it was, it's been so long since I've seen Bill Cosby, like, as Bill Cosby. Yeah. That it just broke my heart seeing, like, Fat Albert and The Cosby Show. Yeah. And my favorite movies, like, uh, Take the Money and Run or Uptown Saturday Night. Yeah. You know, I used to make, I think I told you, I would make my friends play Uptown Saturday Night. I'd get a briefcase full of fake money. And I remember one friend of mine, we got in so much trouble because we put on his nice blazers. I took his mom's uh, eyeliner and made a big old thick Cosby mustache because he had that cool ass mustache back then. And then we got in trouble because we were walking along the ledge of the second floor of the house because there's a scene in one of those movies, I forget yeah, which one, yeah. where they got this briefcase full of money and the money opens up. And the, oh, right, and, the and it all falls out. So yeah, that was yeah. the scene that we needed to play it's in my course, very, very uh, meticulous Playtimes, right. like I was very right. serious about it. And the, she's like, "What are you doing?" I got so much trouble, but I just, you know, 
So seeing him again as what I grew up with, just like adoring that guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it broke my heart because, you know, he is such a monster. Yeah. Such yeah. a horrible human being. Yeah. And, and, and like fooled us all. And it's just like, and he got away with it. Well, he got because away he was with rich. it. And it's he the got same away with it with like, because his yeah. stuff made money. Exactly. That's he what, made that's, a lot of people a lot of money. That was this roundabout, you know, yeah. speed bump was just like, yeah. hopefully now, you know, after the Me Too movement and stuff, we're I, getting away from I hope that. So. And hope, you know, and more diversity and, you know, with with all the changes that are being made to be more respectful. Yeah. I'm hoping that we'll finally get a change in this business. But money's always going to talk. Money yeah, is always yeah, going to money. Yeah. You know, they're always going to cover for people who make them a ton of money. It's the power of numbers. More people are speaking up and you're less likely to get singled out and then blackballed, you know, I mean, uh, at least now. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it's it's going that way. But still, I mean, you know, there's still so much victim blaming and there's yeah. still so much question, like the questions they asked of like, you know, well, why did you go back there? Why did you do this? You did have a drink and you did do, well, and it's whatever. like. Whatever. That's bullshit. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter. The guy is a monster. And he committed a crime, the, the, and there's no excusing it. This victim blaming bullshit. Nobody, nobody asked to be raped. That's bullshit. I. That's, yeah. Anyway, can't wait for the Cosby Show. Yep, <sighs> it's gonna be a great episode. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, so Jerry Bruckheimer was a line producer in the early '70s, first working on commercials with his advertising background, and then moving to features. Bruckheimer has a reputation in Hollywood as well, such as the fact that I know if you wear shorts in a meeting he's in, he will kick you out of the room. I saw it happen. <laughs> I yeah. saw it happen. Uh, it's harder to find dirt on him because he's still incredibly, uh, he's a, still a, a very influential producer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's still his stuff still makes a lot of money. Yep. Um, and he definitely is, was not as big of an asshole as Don Simpson. No, no, no. He was, he was the more staid partner of that. He was, he was still brash, but it was all towards getting stuff done and making sure that that stuff was good. He wasn't as self-destructive. and uh, No, he didn't pass yeah, out yeah. in meetings due to truck use. So Simpson and Bruckheimer launched to prominence when their first feature produced together, Flashdance, made over $200 million off a $7 million budget in 1983. Yeah, that movie came out of nowhere and changed everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was huge. Uh, a lot of... A lot of sweatshirts. Got the necks <laughs> cut out of them after that film. I just constantly have rain pouring on me all the time. It's great. It's really messy. It drives me crazy. Sorry. <laughs> they also produced Beverly Hills Cop in 1984. That movie became Paramount's highest grossing film in just five days of release. Nice. Yeah, please see our Beverly Hills Cop episode uh, back about 30 episodes ago, 40 episodes ago. Yep. It was a good episode. It was fun. Simpson also claims that he came up with the idea for Beverly Hills Cop, which is widely believed to be untrue. Well, yeah. I mean, he was a bragger, too. Yeah, that was the part of the questionable claims. Like, he also claimed he made, like, five people's careers when he had nothing to do with it. That's what he does. Uh, Simpson and Bruckheimer bought the rights to the article uh, Top Guns by Ehud Yone and went on a search. I just got to say, I'm sorry. I just got to say. Okay. These guys who were very successful, you know, guys like this guy and... And let's say our former president or whatever. Why are they going to lie and brag and do all this lie? You know, you already got a good group of stuff going on that you can fall back on. You don't have to lie about stuff. The narcissist, they can't help it. That's true. Malignant narcissist. Thank you, Adam. They can't help it. So Takes it, one to no one. They bought the rights to the article and went on a search for the right screenwriter to bring Top Gun to the big screen. Uh, numerous screenwriters allegedly turned down the project. Nobody seemed interested, so Bruckheimer and Simpson went on to hire Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. to write the first draft. Well, I mean, think about it. 
It's like, who wants to write a fighter pilot movie? It sounds like really, like, what do you and want? And then the plane flies this way. Yeah. And then the, it does a barrel roll. It just seems and like there's a, not a lot. I, yeah. 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 I agreed. Agreed. It seems like a, a very uh, specious way to set up a, a movie. Is, and hey, there's a bunch of guys in planes. Right. And there wasn't really a Navy movie. No. For quite a while. I, I don't think there's ever been like a fighter pilot, you know. I mean, there, no. there was a lot after it. Uh yeah, I mean there were there were definitely some like there's there's a history of fighter pilot movies, but like it, I mean there hadn't been any in a long time. Like it was you get to the point of these big fighter fast fighter jets, and it's like that's not interesting. Well, we, also, are we thought war movies were kind of out before you know it's like they, they were started still coming back of, with the yeah. Vietnam movies, but it's like between but the Vietnam was not they were trying to do the World War Two. In, in the Vietnam sense, right. and it just didn't work. No. And and, then, and we talked about this in the last episode with Rambo and how it it just was a different war and a very different time, and and these rah-rah movies were not – didn't do well until, until you know, Rambo 2. Well, until they found – it was all the perfect storm of Reagan and – yeah. 80s and the greed and the cocaine and, yeah, yeah. you know, this whole, like, turning your back on all the ideals that you fought for in the 60s um, just yeah. so you can get some money, some cocaine. Money, money, that's all that matters. Uh, money gets you coke, baby. <laughs> coke gets you money. So <laughs> Jim Cash was a professor at Michigan State University. He met Jack Epps Jr. when he was a student of his and wrote their first screenplay together in 1975. Oh. Shortly after, Epps moved to Hollywood, but Cash stayed in Michigan. They actually collaborated via computer modems. Wow. Pre-internet. Yes, they wrote together over 3,000 miles. It's pretty crazy. That is crazy. That in the early 80s. Uh, Epps found some success writing for TV. He wrote some episodes of Hawaii Five-0 and Kojak. Uh, they also had a TV movie made called Izzy and Moe, yeah. comedy broadcast on CBS in 1985. It starred Jackie Gleason and Art Carney as two cops tracking down illegal bars during Prohibition. It was a good movie. Was it? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, okay. everybody loves seeing those two together after the honeymooners. Yeah, yeah that's true. They're a great that's pair. True. Yeah. Art Carney was one of the greatest actors ever. And, uh, you know, Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason was huge. He was just bigger than life. He, he was. was so much fun to watch. He was also a very big actor. <laughs> Just kidding. He was, he was a big was man. Big, he did become a very big man. Uh, the pair would go on to write, not Jackie Gleason, Art Carney, but uh, Epson Cash would go on to write Legal Eagles in 1986, starring Robert Redford, Deborah Winger, and Daryl Hannah. Meh. The Secret of My Success in 1987, starring Michael J. Fox and Helen Slater. Blech. Turner and Hooch in 1989, starring Tom Hanks and Mayor Winningham. Nice. Turner and Hooch is a great movie. Uh, Dick Tracy for Warren Beatty in 1990. Uh. Yeah, I, I like what they were trying to do with it, but yeah. Uh, An Anaconda in 1997, hmm. uh, <laughs> which the funny thing is that uh, with the four sequels or so, they've made more money off that movie than anything else. Uh, and the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas in 2000. Nope. Is yeah. that the, that's the sequel, right? Yeah. The one with one of the Baldwin brothers is Barney. Yes. And the, yes. and, uh. I, don't, I literally didn't look it up because I have zero interest in Viva and, uh, Rock And Robbie, Vegas. what's his name? The guy from uh, The Full Monte was, uh, was Fred. Oh, was he? Yeah. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't John Goodman. It wasn't John Goodman. Couldn't afford those Who guys. Who cares? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, Epps, not Epps, uh, Jim Cash, he passed in like 2006. 
Uh, oh. so, yeah, a lot yeah. of dead guys. And, Simpson uh, and yeah. and uh, the director coming up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the research methods by Epps, since he was in California, included attendance at several declassified Top Gun classes at Miramar and gaining experience by being flown in an F-14. Uh, the first draft failed to impress Bruckheimer and Simpson and is considered to be very different from the final product in numerous ways. Although this is disputed by Jacobs Jr. in any interview you can ever find him in, <laughs> uh, claiming that many, many elements from that first draft are still in the film and that anyone can write anything on the Internet, including that quote you just heard as read by Jim because I just made that up. Woo. Uh, but he did say he essentially said the same thing. I just couldn't find the actual quote. Um, but he, he, I think it's just more defending the fact that he, their writing is in there. I think that he was hurt by the fact sure. that people think that their draft was just discarded and that was it. Well, nobody likes to think that their writing was bad. No, but all the dialogue, like all that dialogue, the need for speed, they wrote all that. Like it was all there. I wouldn't be proud of that. <laughs> so Tony said. they just invent a cliche machine and yeah, just cranked it? Well, pretty much. Bing! Your mouth is right, checks your butt can't cash. Ding! I'll be a wingman anytime. Ding! Everybody wanted to be John Melius. John Melius was really good at writing those one-liners. That's true. Nobody could be John Melius. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Scott was hired to direct on the strength of a commercial he had done for Swedish automaker Saab in the early 1980s, where a Saab 900 Turbo is shown racing a Saab 37 Viggen fighter jet. I remember that commercial. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Tony Scott followed in his brother Ridley's shadow for most of his early life. He was shooting short films with Ridley, who was seven years his elder. Tony graduated from the Royal College of Art, although he intended to become a painter. Uh, Tony started shooting commercials for Ridley Scott Associates, his brother's company. He was successful enough that within a year he was able to purchase himself a Ferrari. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was the, what Ridley promised him. He goes, you come shoot things for me, within a year you'll buy a Ferrari. And I did. do it. And he did, That's yeah. a good... Uh... It's a good deal. He ended up shooting commercials for 15 years because he just loved it. Uh, he was good at it, too. Yeah. Tony nurtured Ridley's company while Ridley was developing his feature film career. Tony always intended to make features but loved commercials. He said, I cornered the market in sexy rock and roll stuff. That's actually very, very, very dead on. Nice. <laughs> MGM hired Tony to direct The Hunger, released in 1983, starring Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon. It's an interesting movie. It's good. I haven't seen a long time. It's been a long time. Uh, he had been developing Anne Rice's interview with a vampire at the time, so the project interested him greatly. Uh, it would have been interesting to see a Tony Scott interview with the vampire movie. Uh, I don't know. It would have been a lot of... How would he have done it? He couldn't have done a lot of Magic Hour sunsets because he would have killed all the vampires. Sexy rock and roll stuff. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> I, I don't think it would have been good. <laughs> I don't know. I, it just it doesn't lend itself. He's he, big. His, his, yes. You know, right. colorful. His tone is definitely not interview with no. a vampire. Definitely not Anne Rice, which is very interesting. But, you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, the producers wanted the assistance of the U.S. Navy in the production of the film. The Navy was influential in relation to script approval, which resulted in changes being made to the script. Can't F with the Navy. No. Uh, the opening dogfight was moved to international waters as opposed to Cuba. Uh, the language was very toned down. And a scene that involved a crash on the deck of an aircraft carrier was scrapped. 
Uh, can't show the Navy in a negative light whatsoever. No, not if they're going to be helping. No. Uh, Maverick's love interest was also changed from a female enlisted member of the Navy to a civilian contractor with the Navy due to the U.S. military's prohibition of fraternization between officers and enlisted personnel. Yeah, I got to make it above board. Yeah. So casting. So they cast Tom Cruise as Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, a U.S. Navy pilot. Uh, the character was loosely based on Duke Cunningham and his accomplishments during the Vietnam War. Duke Cunningham. And I am now going to go on a small speed bump because Duke Cunningham is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did not end up well. Nope. <laughs> Cunningham was an officer and a pilot in the U.S. Navy for 20 years. Following the Vietnam War, during which he became the U.S. Navy's only pilot ace of that war, Cunningham became an instructor at the U.S. Navy's Fighter Weapons School. Cunningham later served as a Republican member of the U.S. House of Representatives from California's 50th District from 1991 to 2005. He subsequently served eight years in prison for accepting at least $2.4 million in bribes from defense contractors. Yep. He resigned from Congress in 2005 after having pled guilty to bribery, fraud, and tax evasion in a widely publicized trial. And that is Duke Cunningham. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like Maverick. Yeah. I think the sequel... I haven't I think, seen the new one. I haven't one. seen this new one, but I think it's all about his trial for bribery. I don't even think there's any flying in you it. You can't handle the truth! Yeah. <laughs> he gets Goose's son to represent him because he's a lawyer now or something? That's, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, actor Matthew Modine actually turned down this role because he felt the film's pro-military stance went against his politics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he hey, did guess Birdie, who has which morals, was a great morals, yeah, kind of not an anti-war film, but a showing the PTSD and the and the mental uh, repercussions of being in war. Birdie is an amazing film yeah. if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, and also. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, you know. Yeah, he was Joker. he was Full Metal Jacket. That's right. I was like, trying, it's so funny because he just does not seem like Matthew Modine in that movie at all. But yeah, it is a very anti-war movie. Yeah, <laughs> and and he was he's brilliant in that movie. Absolutely, yeah, and Birdie too. If you haven't seen that, that's I think him and Nick Cage. Oh, really? Okay. Either, yeah, I, think I don't think I've ever seen it. It's an amazing film. Okay, I'll check it out. Uh, Cruz's biz- biggest success prior to Top Gun was Risky Business in 1983. Uh, also in 1983, he appeared in The Outsiders, Losing It. And all the right moves. Risky business is what made him a star. Yeah, well, of course. Risky of business course. was when people were like, okay, this guy's a star. It was such a great movie. He's charming. He's he's smart. Like he's handsome. He's, handsome. He's, you know. He can dance in his underwear. Like, it's he's I funny. It. I mean, it's like he it was, was it was a yeah. great, great movie. Uh, Boogers in it. Uh, one of my favorite. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, it's just such a good movie. And it also made a star out of Rebecca DeMornay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a great movie. I, he was in four movies that year. I mean, so it it's one of those weird things in Hollywood where someone, an actor, comes from nowhere, and then suddenly they're in, like, eight movies in one year. And it's like, yeah, yeah somebody knew casting two years ago that they were going to, that he was going to be big. He was barely in The Outsiders. Yeah, yeah no, he was But not. he, he yeah. was, like, really buff. Uh, losing it, even though it was he and Shelley Long, mm-hmm. and this is, I think, a pre-cheer Shelley Long, Yes. Um, uh, yeah, it would have been right beforehand. Yeah. Uh, that didn't click. I mean, yeah. it, it, it became a... I mean, does anybody really click with Shelley Long? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> does. Stop. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, it after Top Gun came out, then it was a big rental, but it didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. I mean, it definitely office. boosts sales, sure. And All the Right Moves is a great movie, but it wasn't a blockbuster. It was, you know, him no. as a... It was Pittsburgh like a footballer in high football school drama movie. Yeah, yeah, really good though. Very good movie. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it. I get to see his peen. Wow. Okay, that yeah. is, makes me want to see it less. Yeah. 
<laughs> Good to see uh, Tom Cruise's penis. Nice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Cruise had just come off of Ridley Scott's Legend, which was a huge box office bomb. That's a shame. It's a good movie. Yeah. It lost a lot of money. I love that movie. I love Tim Curry in that movie. Yeah. And I also like a long-haired Tom Cruise. He's very handsome with that long hair. I, I mean, it's a great movie. It's definitely done better since then. It just did. It was not the right time for Legend. No, it was. It's a you know, it's a fantasy film. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't. People were really into fantasy back then. No, it, true, very true. Uh, of course, mostly due to Top Gun and Risky Business, uh, Cruz went on to become one of Hollywood's most bankable stars, still appearing in hundreds of thousands of movies every year. This was back when he, when he, was, when he started out, he was really good because he was hungry. Yeah. He was interesting. He was interested. And I don't think he was a fully Scientologist robot yet. No, I don't think it was until the late 80s, I think it was, when we found Scientology. When this movie came mm. out, my friend, Laser Tag Larry, mm. I, don't, I hate calling him Laser Tag Larry. <laughs> it's too late. That's who he is. But that's just that's who, who he is. is. Sorry, Larry. Uh, Larry went to Miramar for a party, for, I think a premiere party or something, for Top Gun, and Tom Cruise was there. Oh, wow. Larry loved Tom Cruise. Loved him. He yeah. looked like a blonde Tom Cruise. There's oh, wow. a very handsome young man. Yeah, yeah. He even dresses him for uh, Halloween. There's a great picture of him in his flight suit. Larry. Nice. nice. Uh, that was the year that I, I dressed up as a fat woman. Because um, <laughs> I wasn't very uh, sensitive back then. But, uh, but he loved, 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 loved him. And was always compared to him, you know, and I think he liked that too. And so he goes there and Cruise is there. And he's apparently drunk. He's got a girl on each arm. Oh, and he God. was just such an a-hole. Oh. A- a- poor little Larry was so disappointed. Talk about Don't Meet Your Heroes. He was so disappointed. I remember, like, I don't know why I didn't go with him. It seems like a dick move on his part. But probably it was just because his parents. Maybe he couldn't <laughs> get you in. That's probably what it was. <laughs> he specifically said that and go, I'm definitely not oh. inviting Jimmy. Oh, no, I, was, uh, I wouldn't. I was a bad influence. But no, he uh, he was just so sad. I felt so badly for him because he was just, you know, it was it was just so disappointing for him. That's too bad. You know? Yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of when you meet people that are not. Could have been a bad, yeah. you know, he was, look, the guy was in his early 20s. He's just becoming a huge star. Yeah. So, you know, I give him a break. But still, it's sure. like. Sure, uh, So they cast Kelly McGillis as Charlotte Charlie Blackwood, instructor of Top Gun and Maverick's love interest. Way too good for this movie. Yeah. Way too good. <laughs> she was amazing in Witness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Charlie character actually replaced an aerobics instructor from an early draft as a love interest for Maverick after producers were introduced to Christine Legs Fox, a civilian mathematician employed by the Center for Naval Analyses as a specialist in maritime air superiority, developing tactics for aircraft carrier defense. Yeah. Legs. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and her partner, Boobs. What gross people. <laughs> hey, legs. Her last name is literally Fox, and what they came up with was legs. I mean, she's got really nice legs. Ugh. But she, her name is Fox. I just didn't. It's, it's just too easy, Adam. How bad they are in nicknames. I'm sorry. Uh, McGillis started her career on TV, landing a role on the soap opera One Life to Live, along with some TV movies. Uh, she had just come off of starring in Witness in 1985, starring Harrison Ford and directed by Peter Weir, where she was nominated for a Golden Globe and BAFTA Award for the part. Uh, she has gone on to do a lot. I don't think she works very much anymore. But um, No, and they didn't even ask her to be in the no, sequel, no. which is so effing shitty. I'm sorry to use... 
bad language, but it's just why you know. And she was funny about it. She's like, "I'm old and fat. Why would they want me?" And it's like, well, you're a human, man, and that's what. It's just like the fact that people can't age in Hollywood, and you can't, you know, you bring everybody back, but you won't bring her back. F them. They literally had to create new computer programs to make Iceman talk. You couldn't tell me they couldn't bring Kelly McGillis back? Yeah. Bullshit. I, yeah. I mean, they probably would have been like, look, you can come back, but you're going to have to lose a lot of weight. We're going to get you a trainer. And it's like, no. Have her be herself. Exactly. She's still the civilian trainer. Like, love, whatever. Love to see a movie with, with you know, an age-appropriate yeah. love interest that looks like a human being. Yeah. Like, who's his love interest in this? It's probably uh, somebody in their 30s or 20s. or Probably in their 20s. Somebody young enough to be his daughter. He's 60, man. granddaughter. It's just like, come on. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. I, yeah. yeah. Everybody else has, apparently. Uh, they cast Val Kilmer as Lieutenant Tom Iceman Kazansky, Ooh, one of Ice Top Gun's students and Maverick's rival turned wingman. I can be your, be your wingman anytime. Yeah, it's a great love story. It is. Uh, Kilmer attended Chatsworth High School with Kevin Spacey. Uh, his high school girlfriend was Mayor Winningham. Uh, who was in turn Hooch. Uh, he became the youngest person at the time to be accepted into the Juilliard School's drama division nice. at the age of 15. Wow. Yeah. He turned down a role in The Outsiders due to theater commitments. He was starring in an off-Broadway play, The Slab Boys, with Kevin Bacon, Sean Penn, and Jackie Earl Haley. Nice. Yeah, which I would have been a great show. I have no idea what it's about. But it Well, Val Kilmer comes from a lot of money. He never yep. had to worry about money. No, so he no. was never a struggling actor. But, no. you know, I'm not that it takes away from his talent. He's great. I love him. No, he's very talented. But, you know, it's like he it's he was lucky enough to be able to choose the play over the movie because. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He didn't have to, to take the work. He could do the play. Uh, his big break came in the lead role for the spoof film Top Secret in 1984. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Uh, he starred in 1985's Real Genius and turned down a part in David Lynch's Blue Velvet before landing the role of Iceman. Real Genius is also an amazing movie. Uh, it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. And what part do you know for? Uh, I don't know. Is it, it the didn't lead? say. I'm guessing the lead because at he that point he'd had some pretty bankable movies, so it was like, yeah. I mean, he would have been great I, because he also has that kind of like old timey feel to him. Yeah, like he could yeah. play. Like that's why he was so good in Top. Uh, Secret because yeah yeah you know he's got that kind of like that kind of forties rockabilly 50s, 50s, bat yeah yeah fifties rockabilly vibe yeah 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 he was great he sang all his own uh, music in Top Secret all all his own songs uh, he's how silly can you get <laughs> he was uh, Val Kilmer was I loved him I same he was he was one of my favorites growing up uh, he obviously went on to become a bankable action movie star eventually playing Batman in the nineties. Uh, in 2015, uh, Kilmer was diagnosed with throat cancer, which he recovered from, but cannot speak nor eat anymore. Ugh, so horrible. He has to feed himself with a feeding tube. I couldn't. Um, what, what's the, like, I don't know, man. I love food. It just seems like. It sucks. It would definitely suck. But he's alive. I mean, it didn't kill him, so. Well, I don't know, man. Well, uh, excuse me. I, 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 I mean, it's one of those you don't really know until you're faced with that sure, choice. Sure, sure, yes. I mean, but I guess I'd say the same, I'd be like, I don't know, man. I don't know. The voice thing wouldn't bother me as much as the feeding thing. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people would be happy if I couldn't speak. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like, it's like uh, you know, Roger Ebert losing his jaw and all that. It's just yeah. like, I, I don't think I, I'm strong enough to do that. Yeah, I, yeah. It's always quality over quantity for me in terms of life. Right, You know, right. 
And if the quality's not there, yeah, why the do you point? want the quantity? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, they cast Anthony Edwards as uh, Nick Goose Bradshaw. Goose. Maverick's radar intercept officer and best friend. Uh, Edwards is from Santa Barbara and was heavily involved in the local theater community. His parents wanted him to go to college before pursuing a career in acting. He actually received a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London and studied at USC. Wow. Uh, He was receiving enough paid acting work that he dropped out of college at the age of 19. Yeah, no, he was... He did well. He's an amazing actor. Uh, He's a very good actor. Uh, Early on, he had roles in 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Heart Like a Wheel in 1983, starring Bonnie Bedelia and Bo Bridges about the first female drag racer. Yeah. Revenge of the Nerds in 1984. <laughs> one of my favorite, also one of my favorite comedies. Also one of the most disturbing rapey scenes. Uh, yeah. That just yeah. does not age at all. No. But no. Uh, yes, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, Again, yeah. with Booger. Yeah, also, yeah. The actual Booger. With Booger, I yeah. wish I could remember Booger's name um, because he's such a great actor. Ne- no, it's Neil. No, not Neil. It's a... Uh, Curtis Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong. He was, he played uh, Metronome? Is that the name of the voice of God? Uh, no, it's not Metronome. It's, it's something, something like, like Metronym or Metronome. Yeah, but it's the, the no. angel that is the voice of right. God. The, the, the only oh my one God, that can... it's so close. It's right there. It's, it's, anyway. Anyway, he played yeah. that character on Supernatural, and he was so oh, really? good. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen, man, Supernatural. No, I need to watch oh, Supernatural. Oof. It's just that it's... It's the same guy that did The Boys. It's like 30 years of episodes yeah, I need to watch. It's it is just, a commitment. Uh, yeah. He also did The Sure Thing in 1985, starring John Cusack and Daphne Zuniga, directed by Rob Reiner. It's such no. a great movie. Uh, you forgot my favorite, absolute favorite Anthony Edwards movie, Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I purposely left it off gotcha. because I'd never seen it. It's him and Linda Fiorentino. Okay. And he plays a young student who is a virgin. And, and he plays this paintball assassination game at school oh. and called Gotcha. Okay. And okay. he goes on a European uh, college thing, you know, hoping to lose his virginity. Yeah. And yeah. he gets caught up in this whole espionage thing with Linda Fiorentino. And it is so good. It is so okay. good. All right. Ah, it's one of those movies that nobody ever remembers, but it's one of those flicks that I just loved as a kid and watched over and over again. Okay, I'll check it out. Uh, Of course, Anthony Edwards would go on to be most well-known as Dr. Mark Green on NBC's ER, appearing in 180 episodes of the hit series. Until Uh, they killed him off, spoiler alert, with brain cancer. Yeah. He did. Or an aneurysm. He did come back for. I think he had brain cancer. He would play Mark Green. Uh, he's done. He's obviously still doing stuff like Anthony Edwards, still working. He's only in his mid fifties, so like he's he still has a lot of lot of life left in him. Doesn't he direct too? Does he does he? now. Yeah. yeah, I think he directed a bunch of of ER stuff too. Yeah, if I'm correctly. Uh, they cast Tom Skerritt as Mike Viper Metcalf, commanding officer, instructor of Top Gun. Uh, his this character was based on a real Navy Rear Admiral who advised the film and makes a small appearance in the movie. Nice. Uh, Skerritt has appeared in over 40 films and more than 200 television episodes since 1962. Maverick, uh, what are you doing, Maverick? Why you... <laughs> such a great place. you going to pose the tower, Maverick? That's not good. He's so fa- I love Tom oh, Skerritt. Oh, me too. Like, Alien? So Come much. on, baby. Yeah. yeah, MASH in 1970, Alien in 1979. The... MASH the movie. Yes. Uh, Alien in 1979, The Dead Zone in 1983, directed yeah. by David Cronenberg. Playing the sheriff. Such a great movie. Uh, he won an Emmy for his role in Picket Fences in the 1990s. It was a very popular show. It was. He was like a sheriff or something. Yeah, it was a small, I think it was set in Colorado or 
I, I never. My it was during this shit. time when they had all these shows like, like Picket Fences and uh, Northern Exposure, Northern Exposure yeah. and all these little quirky town shows with quirky rural. people being yeah. quirky. Just a bunch of quirks. <laughs> Just a bunch of rural quirks. <laughs> Michael Ironside as uh, Lieutenant Commander Rick Jester Heatherly, a naval <laughs> aviator <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, Ironside specializes in playing villains and tough guys. One of his first roles was an evil telepath, uh, Daryl Revok in Scanners in 1981, yeah. also directed by David Cronenberg. Such a great movie. Yeah. He uh, makes a head explode. He does. It's really great. He's, he's a lot of blood coming out of his nose because of it, yeah. Uh, that's stressful. how you knew he was doing uh, mind mind powers. It was, it was a trope in the 80s. It's a trope right now, because yeah. guess who gets a nosebleed? Old Eleven from Strange oh, Things, yeah. so that's a callback to Scanners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his breakthrough role as a cynical antihero, Ham Tyler, in the television miniseries V: The Final Battle, and its following 19-episode series in 1984. V. It was great. I loved V. That yeah, was great. It was one of my favorite shows. Uh, since Top Gun, he's done a ton of voice acting and appeared in numerous video games, as well as a plethora of movies and TV shows. Also appearing in Top Gun was John Stockwell, uh, Tim Robbins, James Tolkien, Meg Ryan, and Adrian Pazdar. I didn't even realize Tim Robbins was in it until we watched it this time, and he's just kind of like pops he's up. He's like, "Hey, that's Tim Robbins." It's, yeah, it's he's basically an extra. Yeah, I mean, he's well. I, the funny thing is that he's in. He's oh, he's the guy. He fills in for Goose. Yeah, Merlin. In the end, but ninety percent of the time, he's you don't see who it is. So what I mean, are you doing, Maverick? What are you doing? You're going to get us killed, Maverick. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, Maverick! Oh, I don't know about this, Maverick. Oh, oh, Tim oh, go, go, go. And I love Meg Ryan in this movie. She's so fantastic. The one scene that she's she gets to really, really act in, it's it's really good. And yeah, that over-the-top scene with the piano playing and take me to bed and lose me forever. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, that's bad. I'm talking about the scene after. Oh, when when he dies and yeah, she's all sad. Yeah, she's all sad. It was a good scene. It was a good it scene. It was good. That uh, was like, yeah, it was before she became a huge star, too. Yeah, she wasn't huge at the time, no. Not by any means. She was on Charles in Charge, I think, during that time. Was she? Yeah, she was. She was on Charles in Charge, with uh, Chachi. Um, yeah, with the. Uh, she was like the love interest for a couple of years on that show. Then they switched it over. Charles in Charge is one of the weirdest. Has one of the weirdest <laughs> histories true. because it ran uh, on like ABC or something mm-hmm. for a season, and then and then they and then it got canceled. Went but they brought it back in syndication, yeah. and they literally changed ninety percent of the actors yep. and never explained it. Nope. He just showed up, and all these new people were at the house, and he just went with it. And then it lasted forever. It went, yeah, it went for like nine years. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Charles in charge of our days <laughs> and our nights. It was a weird show too. I was when I worked in a, at a TV station. I had to run the entirety of the, the show over the course of a year, and it was so fascinating to watch. Uh, such a bad show. Wow, Willie Ames is buddy. Yeah. Uh, so the Navy made several aircraft from F-14 Fighter Squadron via 51, the Screaming Eagles, available for the film. Paramount paid as much as $7,800 per hour, equivalent to almost $20,000 now, for fuel and other operating costs whenever aircraft were flown outside their normal duties. Yeah, but think about, like, what it would cost to build models and do all the special oh, no, effects you, work. You can get the real thing. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Shots of the aircraft carrier sequences were filmed aboard the USS Enterprise, uh, the aircraft carrier, not the spaceship. Okay. <laughs> the majority of the carrier flight deck shots were of normal aircraft operations, and the film crew had to take what they could get, save for the occasional flyby, which the film crew would request. 
During filming, director Tony Scott wanted to film aircraft landing and taking off backlit by the sun. Of course he did. That's his signature <laughs> shot. Gold so, magic hour. That's what he had to do. Uh, during one particular filming sequence, the ship's commanding officer changed the ship's course, thus changing the light. When Scott asked if they could continue on their previous course and speed, he was informed by the commander that it would cost $25,000, equivalent to $63,000 today, to turn the ship and to continue on course. Scott wrote the carrier's captain a check so the ship could be turned and he could continue shooting for another five minutes. Not his money. Yeah. Most of the sequences of the aircraft maneuvering over land were shot at Naval Air Station Fallon in Nevada using ground-mounted cameras. Air-to-air shots were filmed using a Learjet. Uh, Grumman, manufacturer of the F-14, was commissioned by Paramount Pictures to create camera pods to be placed upon the aircraft that could be pointed toward either the front or rear of the aircraft, providing outside shots at high altitude. The film was shot in Super 35 format, as anamorphic lenses were too large to fit inside the cockpits of the fighter jets, and also the cameras would fall off their mounts when the fighter jets maneuvered on their sides. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of cameras got destroyed during this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do we do? I don't know. The cameras are just flopping around the cockpit. Uh, reshoots after Top Gun's filming wraps con- conflicted with Made in Heaven, in which McGillis starred with brown hair. The Top Gun production was forced to hide her hair color, uh, such as the scene that was shot in the elevator featuring McGillis in a baseball cap, in which it's really obvious she has brown hair, not blonde hair. But, you know, they tried. The San Diego restaurant and bar Kansas City Barbecue served as a filming location for two scenes shot in July of 1985, the Great Balls of Fire scene and the final scene. After the release of the movie, the restaurant went on to collect a significant amount of memorabilia from the motion picture until a kitchen fire on June 26, 2008 destroyed much of the restaurant. Some memorabilia and props, including the original piano used in the film, survived the fire and the restaurant reopened in November of 2008. Nice. Uh, so if you want to go, go play Great Balls of Fire on the piano from the movie. It's there waiting for you. Yeah, I'm sure they love that. <laughs> <laughs> Renowned aerobatic pilot Art Scholl was hired uh, to do in-flight camera work for the film. The original script called for a flat spin, which Scholl was to perform and capture on a camera on the aircraft. The aircraft was, was observed to spin through its recovery altitude, at which time Scholl radioed, I have a problem. I have a real problem. He was unable to recover from the spin and crashed his pit special biplane into the Pacific Ocean off the Southern California coast near Carlsbad on September 16, 1985. Neither his body nor his aircraft were ever recovered, leaving the official cause of the accident unknown. Wow. Top Gun was actually dedicated to his memory. Well, good. Yeah, I had no idea. All this time this movie's been out, I had no idea that someone died while making it. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, so the Top Gun... Good PR. I know, I know. Well, the Top Gun soundtrack is one of the most popular soundtracks to date, reaching nine times platinum certification. They got my money. And number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart for five non-consecutive weeks in the summer and fall of 1986. Uh, Harold Faltermeyer, who previously worked with both Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson on Beverly Hills Cop, was sent the script of Top Gun by Bruckheimer before filming began. <laughs> Georgia Morador and Tom Whitlock worked on numerous songs, including the Oscar-winning Take My Breath Away. Take my breath away. <laughs> Berlin actually recorded Take My Breath Away, which would later win numerous awards, sending the band to international acclaim. Uh, Kenny Loggins performed two songs on the soundtrack, Playing With the Boys and Danger Zone. 
Which fire think, your weapons, boys. I think playing isn't the playing with the boys the one that's yeah when they're playing volleyball. Playing volleyball, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so oiled like, up. Yeah, okay. Uh, after the release of Logan's single "Danger Zone," sales of the album exploded, selling seven million in the United States alone. <laughs> it's a. I mean, it's it is it is Top Gun. It's a great song, and yeah. it's uh, also on the GTA Five soundtrack. So on the rock station. So. You can- uh, it is. And it is. not only that, but and Mr. Loggins himself, is, the, uh, yeah. is the DJ of that station. It's pretty great. Uh, the band Toto was actually originally meant to record Danger Zone and also written and recorded a song Only You for the soundtrack. What? However, <laughs> there was a dispute between Toto's lawyers and the producers of the film paving the way for Loggins to record Danger Zone and Only You being admitted from the film entirely. The wave of danger zone. <laughs> What's that? It's going to be danger yeah. zone, danger I just, zone. It definitely, I don't think it would be the same. The plane on the danger okay, zone. Well, I, I don't think they would just use Africa's music and then, yeah. and danger zone. If it ain't yeah. broke. Uh, other artists were considered for the soundtrack project but did not participate. Brian Adams was considered as a potential candidate but refused to participate because he felt the film glorified war. He would have been perfect. He was another one of yeah. those, you know, guys, rock, those pop rock guys yeah. like Loggins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been good. Uh, he's just his song? Uh, he's just a little too Canadian. In the summer of 69. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Brian Adams. He's Canadian. I think that's part of the reason. I think he's he's, he's technically a pacifist. Well, there was a lot of people that didn't want to make this propaganda film, Adam. I realize, and good for them. Sticking to their morals, man. Uh, Top Gun was released in New York on May 12th in 1986 and then wide on May 16th during the Memorial Day weekend, which at the time was considered risky. Yeah, it's crazy. People assumed that no one would go see movies during Memorial Day weekend because they'd be outside barbecuing. Yeah, they're on vacation. And now it is a huge... Uh, box office weekend. It's a tentpole weekend, it baby. It's a tentpole weekend, that is correct. Upon its release, the film received mixed reviews from film critics. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film two and a half out of four stars, saying that... Movies like Top Gun are hard to review because the good parts are so good and the bad parts are so relentless. The dogfights are absolutely the best. Since Clisty Cleast was electrifying aerial scenes in Firefox, but look out for the scenes where the people talk to one another. Yeah. Firefox was a good movie, too. It was a great movie. Uh, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film three out of four stars, praising the action sequences, but criticizing the romantic subplot, writing that... It belongs in a teenage sex fantasy film and not in a movie that deserves the genuine romantic value of an officer and a gentleman. Does it? Does it deserve the genuine no, romantic value of an officer and a gentleman? <laughs> Are reviewing the movies you want to see, dummy? <laughs> That is Gene, C- Gene Siskel. Wow. Gene Siskel. Gene Siskel. American film critic Pauline Kael commented, When McGillis is off screen, the movie is a shiny, homoerotic commercial. The pilots strut around the locker room, towels hanging precariously from their waists as if masculinity had been redefined. That's how a young man looks with his clothes half off and as if narcissism is what being a warrior is all about. Well, she pretty much nailed that. Yeah, pr- yeah. <laughs> Some critics have said that the film promotes U.S. jingoism, uh, which obviously it does. Uh, Oliver Stone told Playboy that the film... Saw the idea that war is clean, war can be won. Nobody in the movie ever mentions that he just started World War III. In 1990, Tom Cruise said that it would have been irresponsible to make a sequel because the film gave a misleading view of war. Yeah, and then fast forward... Keep that in mind... (laughs) 
as we continue. Yeah. Uh, despite these mixed reviews, four weeks after release, the number of theaters showing it increased by 45%. Oh, it was a giant. The film was a huge commercial hit, grossing $357 million against a production budget of $15 million. The film won both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for Take My Breath Away, performed by Berlin. Nice. It was also nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and Best Sound Editing editing at the Academy Awards. That's the popular film categories. Yeah. And special <laughs> effects. Yeah. Uh, film producer John Davis said that Top Gun was a recruiting video for the Navy that people saw the movie and said, Well, I want to be a pilot. Uh, John Davis, if you don't know, uh, was a producer. He did stuff like Predator in 1987, 3 O'Clock High yeah. in 1987, License to Drive in 1988, mm. Little Monsters in 1989. Yeah. Along with dozens of other movies from then to now. So, you know, he, he has some credence to what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Navy had recruitment booths in some theaters to attract enthusiastic patrons. F <laughs> those movie theaters for letting that in there, by the way. After the film's release, the U.S. Navy stated that the number of young men who joined wanting to be naval aviators went up by 500%. Probably the slickest propaganda film ever made. The, the yeah. slickest recruitment film ever oh, yeah. made. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the U.S. Department of Defense Office of Inspector General blamed sexist behavior depicted in Hop Gun for making sexual assault more likely in the real-life military, contributing to the tailhook scandal in 1991. Oh, Do you man. remember the tailhook scandal? Yes, movie? that was just... People don't remember, but this was just so much rape. Uh, the tailhook scandal involved the sexual assault of 83 women and 7 men over a three-day convention for the Navy and Marines. Oh, Jesus. Three days! Yeah. It was awful. Yeah, that's what awful liquor and jingoism gets you, baby. If you want to get really depressed and angry, look up the tailhook scandal and, yeah, and yeah. look up sexual assaults in the military in the 80s and 90s. It, yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. Not, not, yeah. Hopefully it's getting better. Hopefully it's getting better. Uh, in, in, in more happy news, Top Gun spawned a number of video games for various platforms. Yeah, but none of them were any good. The original game was released in 1986 under the same title as the film. It was released for the Commodore 64, the ZX Spectrum, the Amstrad CPC, and Atari ST. I have no idea what the ZX Spectrum and the uh, Amstrad CPC is. It pops up a lot, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing it's a Commodore knockoff. Probably. Yeah. Another game, also entitled Top Gun, was released in 1987 for Nintendo Entertainment System and Nintendo VS System arcade cabinets. In the 1987 game, the player pilots an F-14 Tomcat fighter and has to complete four missions and also has the hardest landing ever oh, in yeah. the game. I played that. It was hard as you F. Literally just, you would like, oh, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, and you had to land on the aircraft carrier and you'd crash and you'd die and it was all done. Yeah. It's because your support team down there wasn't helping. <laughs> a sequel, Top Gun, the second mission, was released for the NES three years later. Uh, in 2015, the United States Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the National Film Registry, finding it, quote, Culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Uh, a sequel titled Top Gun Maverick was released 36 years later on May 27, 2022, to greater critical and commercial success. Yeah. <sighs> Still making a ton of money right now as you're listening to this. Yes. And uh, the original movie should have been put in the Library of Congress because it's definitely a yeah. time capsule of that time. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, for sure. It's a great example of the rah-rah Reagan 80s, the uh, unabashed American exceptionalism. Yeah. You know, the the cocky, uh, homoerotic... <laughs> Boys playing with each other, and, and you know, <laughs> it's very like 
there's what movie is it? I think it was a movie that Quentin Tarantino wrote but didn't direct. Where there's a uh, a guy that no keeps... no he didn't write it he was just in it. Oh, okay. I, he may have written the speech that he gives, but I remember and I don't remember the name of the movie. Yeah, but he but basically he's at a party yeah. and like and he <sighs> gives this amazing speech about how Top Gun is like the most homo erotic movie ever made, and and you know when he gets back. and it's just it is there's laughably funny moments like after yeah. Goose dies and Iceman comes in he's like, oh my god <laughs> niffing yeah <clears throat> sorry about Goose he was a good man. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it was just like okay. Yeah. I mean, come on. What what is that? I mean, it's like it's so bravado. It's just this bravado, you know, where you can't let down the curtain of machismo that these right. guys have right. wrapped themselves in, slathered slathered the machismo on like the Crisco that they pour all over their tan bodies when they're outside playing games, or they're in the locker room giving e- razzing each other. Yeah, it's uh. But it is, I mean, at the time, it was a really fun film. I really enjoyed it. Didn't make me yeah. want to join no. military. No. But I get it. You know, it's like it made it seem really cool. When I was a little kid, I'd want to, you know, I was like, oh, I'd love to be a fighter pilot. But you don't think of all the repercussions. You just think it'd be cool yeah. to fly jets and fly fast. I was never big into that. I was never big into planes and all that stuff and the fighter jets and all that. Like, the movie was cool and it was fun, you know, fun to watch. But being in it and like, I could not. I'd love to take a ride. Agreed. Agreed. I think it, it would be interesting, and I would love to try it. But I think a lot of this movie has to do with um, – because these fighter pilots, we were watching it, and the first thing is they talked about it being a competition. And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it clicked for me that it was like, yeah, because they don't – all these skills they're learning at Top Gun – they're not really going to be able to use because we don't fight wars like this anymore. No. Well, I mean, fighter jets, yes. Because fighter jets, you know, there's always something to escort or something to intercept. Sure, sure. You know, or something to shoot out of the sky. But doing, like, dogfights in the sky and stuff like that, they don't really, that doesn't really happen anymore. No, no. But I mean, mean, they're they're learning all this training, and it's it's not, I mean, and maybe it does, and maybe I don't know enough about this and, and whatever, but, like, it's... I think that a lot of these guys go into this thinking about, like, World War II and, and, and even Vietnam to a certain degree, but even that didn't really have the same kind of fighting. The guys that I met when I was a kid, they were adrenaline junkies. Yeah. It was all yeah. about flying fast effing planes and yeah. being a badass. Yeah. Yeah. They all had motorcycles. They all had muscle cars. Right. They all drove fast. They were just cocky flyboys. And it wasn't yeah. Ne- yeah. necessarily – it was just about – flying one of the most elite machines ever created, one of the fastest machines ever created. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, there's a there's a certain type of person that is geared to that. Yeah. And you know, that, that person ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> I love fast cars, and I love all that stuff. I mean, I've never really driven a super fast car, so it's it's hard to say. But it's cool and everything, and I, I yeah, but I could never... Not in a plane. I couldn't do it. It just looks so difficult. Like, watching people fly fighter jets and the way they just, like, choom, 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 and yeah. go all around, it's just, it would seem so hard to just keep your yeah. head in it. Like, yeah. where am I? Like, I, I, you know, I guess, and of course, you have all these instruments and shit that you have to yeah, look but, at, but, but it's still, just all this, like, you zip, zap, to, soup. You have to have that instinct. And, and, then like, to, and then land on a tiny little 
ship. I mean, it ta- look, man, it is a skill that is insane. Like yeah. the fact yeah. that these guys can do it and do it well. Jesus, man. I you, mean, you have to be so hyper aware. Nothing all but the respect. Time. Yeah. And it, yeah. No, a hundred. Totally. Totally. I mean, these are the guys that go on to become our astronauts, you know, and like go up into space and like and all that stuff. So like it's, I always respected it. I haven't seen the second one. I'm not really I have always a clamoring to see a second one. I as time has gone on, my love of Tom Cruise has faded. I just don't yeah. see him. When when I was young and he was young and starting out, I really dug him because he was an interesting kid and he had really good instincts and yeah, he was a yeah. fun actor to watch. Risky Business was such a fun film, such a great film. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and he was so good in it. And this too, I mean, he was perfect for this role. Oh yeah. Yeah. And but it's just as his career went on and as he got more into Scientology, he became more of a robot. And it to me, I see I don't see him as an actor anymore. I see him as a mimic. Yeah. And it seems like everything is so calculated and so rehearsed and so uh, micromanaged yeah. that it just doesn't ring true to me anymore. I, I, don't, I don't care that he does all of his stunts. I don't care that you hang off of a plane, dude. Who cares? That's not impressive. So what? Yeah. You know, I get it. You got to get the shot. I got to get the shot. You know? Stuntmen have been doing that for years. <laughs> exactly. You know, you jumped and broke your ankle. Okay. You're 60, man. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I I mean, I still, I'll still watch things he's in. Obviously. Same. He's like, still he's, charming. He's still, yeah. I'm not saying he's bad. No, no. I'm no. just saying it's hard for me to fully lose myself in a Tom Cruise performance because I can yeah. see in the eyes all the clicks and the clacks of the, the computer brain, the ones yeah, and the twos. Yeah. Well, and that's why, like, he's he's mainly just doing Mission Impossible movies now. And he's just so disconnected. When he does when he does stuff like The Last Samurai, which granted still was like ten at least ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, it, like it just he just sticks out. Yeah. And it's just like uh Yeah, it's just you know, when he tries to do d- different stuff like that, you know, the Grossman thing from Tropic Thunder. But that you know, honestly, that was just a dance, you know, it and a bunch a, of makeup. It and was him, a one note SNL sketch that went on for way exactly, too long. <laughs> exactly. And everybody But that's the thing with him. It's like you do one thing different. It's like, oh my God. And yeah. the best thing he's ever done, which is probably the closest thing to his personality, is the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Magnolia. Magnolia. Yeah. 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 I mean he he was great in that. Yeah. You know, he had a great director. And it and it was like a, it was the one time in his career that he kind of went away from whatever was safe and yeah. did something yeah. that wasn't. And he got a lot of accolades for it. I don't remember him really doing anything after that. No, no, he didn't. He still stuck with the formula stuff. I mean, yeah. like it wasn't. Yeah, he did. I mean, I love him in that movie, and and really watching Top Gun again, there's a lot of Maverick in that character. Sure, um, but it, but it's but yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, like he did it, and then that was it. And then he's you know, then he started doing a Mission Impossible movies, and well, he became that. a movie star. Yeah, he became a business. You know, he yeah. became, you know. It's like Arnold and, and Sly and all these guys. They become bigger than who they are. Right. And right. then their personalities become what makes them famous. And then you're basically like, oh, okay. I mean, Tom Cruise is fine, but Tom Cruise is never not Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. He's always really kind of hyper, and he always has this thing going on. But he's, you know, he's always Small Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. I'm always Tom Cruise. And he runs real fast. He runs really weird. <laughs> I don't, his little arms just pumping. And he's got such slopey shoulders. Yeah, he so does. there you go, Tom Cruise lovers. <laughs> but let me say some nice stuff about him because I do really like him. He knows his audience. Yeah. He knows this business. 
and he's damn good at 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 making movies, yeah. producing them. Yeah. They do really good projects. He finds good yeah. franchises, you know, and he turned down being Iron Man. Yeah. And, yeah. and basically because I think because he doesn't do ensembles. Yeah, yeah. He did he wouldn't they were requiring a lot from him yeah. for for those contracts. Yeah. And yeah, I, that doesn't surprise and me. It, I mean, he doesn't but... need it, you know. It's no. like he does his own thing. He produces his own movies, he makes his own yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's he's his own little factory now. The the that's just the sad sad thing is this Scientology albatross around his neck. And not just because it's Scientology, but because of, you know, uh what is his name? Miss Savage? Miss Cabbage. Miss Cabbage. You know, the guy whose wife disappeared. Like, yeah. all this abuse. The fact that they, all these basic slaves that took care of Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that, that even if they were keeping him, you know, in the dark about this crap, he's got to know. Yeah. He's got to yeah. know. You know? He's and not it's, a dumb person. No. I... It, 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 or he's just the dumbest person. I don't, you know? I don't, and I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But yeah. I, I, I do not... I do not like that side of him. Right. This is, again, why I hate knowing anything about actors that I like. Because it makes me feel like he... It just goes to that robot thing where it's just he's been created by Scientology. Yeah. You know? Well, that was when he had the whole freak out on Oprah and all that. It was like, man, this is stuff I do not need to see. Just go make the movies. Yeah. And and it's like, I don't like this side of you. No. This is not something that I want to see on screen. No, and it's it's also shows that He's not super healthy. No. And no. Scientology is 100% against uh, psychology and yeah, psychotropic yeah. drugs and any sort any of, of therapy. Health, health. Yeah. yeah. You know, got to get rid of them thetans. But, uh, you know, and I'm sure he could have used some therapy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. I used to work right next to the Museum of Psychiatry. Oh, yeah. On, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And and it doesn't say anything that it's a Scientology thing. No, no. And when I first went by, the, the poor bastard that was out there was like, hey, you want to come in? I'm like, nope, I don't support Scientology. And he was like, I understand. And then ever <laughs> since then, he and I were like tight because I would walk by to yeah, go lunch yeah. whatever. And we'd talk for a while and he was like, so, you know, we got to be kind of like friendly. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's just like, I don't, I'm not a big religion guy to begin with, right, but it's right. like anything that really exploits people and hierarchy, you know. Yeah, makes slaves and uppers, and has that kind of bullshit, and is yeah, taking everybody's yeah. money, and there's only a few people that are really, really benefiting from it. Yeah, you know, I'm not down. Okay, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just not. I I can't condone it. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much our military industrial complex. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Right. And so then now, you know, we've got this coming out again, and I'd like to see what the numbers are after this movie came out. I, after hearing the quote from him in 1990 about not wanting to make a sequel because it would be bad for the country. I'm really curious to see what this movie is about and and how he can wrap around that. Granted, it's been, you know, 32 years since he made that comment, but sure. But it's also, is it the time for this? I mean, you know, we, the, the, the sad thing about it is when it came out and did well, then all of the alt-right weirdos started owning it, started taking ownership of it. They were like, see you woke Jerks, you know, this is this is rah rah, you know, go America. None of this woke, you know, BS about right, everybody right. being politically correct. But from what I've heard, isn't the Maverick character a, a woman? Mm-hmm. And isn't there racially yeah. diverse yes. people in it? Yes. And so, yeah. All right, take it. A doesn't, it doesn't step matter. back, they can't. weirdos. It's like it's they nobody's. Can't. I just, this whole like taking ownership of stuff now. 
if everything is us and them, everything is, you know, this is ours, this is yours, this is ours. And it's like, that's not how it works, man. It's a movie. (laughs) I don't think that the numbers for naval aviators is going to go up like it did from the first one. No, no. People are way too lazy to join (laughs) the military. I mean, they're having a lot of recruitment problems in the military. And they want to, I mean, that's the whole thing is that they want to see it and they want to, they want to have that warm feeling of, of how America is great, but they don't actually want to do the work to make it better. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to make America great, vote. Yeah. You know, you want to make America great. Dude, go volunteer at a homeless shelter. Yeah. Go help somebody. Go do something good instead of getting on the internet and yelling at people or, you know, being a troll. Go out and do something nice. Take a walk with a friend. Talk to your neighbors. Pick some oranges. Do something. Get out of the house. (laughs) Pick some oranges. Who cares? Uh, But what a great... Look, with all of its faults and controversy or whatever you want to call it, it's still a super fun movie. I had fun it's watching a, it's it. It's a great movie. It, you know, I'm being it's honest. It's exciting and it's, it, it's a, as a movie, it is a fun, entertaining movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it never was one of my favorites. I was more of like a fan because of Laser Tag Larry, you know, yeah. it's like, but, uh, I feel like a lot of the, the raw rawness can be ignored in this movie and you can focus on the characters and, and the you can focus on the homoeroticism and focus on, <laughs> on oiled up bodies and then you're good to go. Good looking boys, man. Yeah. I was buffed out. And <laughs> it must have been so weird. You know, you guys hit the gym. <laughs> All right, guys, get on set, get in your little tiny shorts. And let's get some more oil out here. I wonder what the Crisco budget was on that. It must've been millions. All right. Well, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. We'll be we'll back, back next, next week, week with uh, some Red Dawn. Avenge me, boys. It's going to be fun. I'm going to hit hard G's the whole show. Good. Good. <laughs> Good. Ugh. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Sanford and Son, already in progress. <laughs>